dharma is the combination of duty, fate, and destiny. For me to fulfill my dharma, I have to fulfill my duty. Modernity is based around emotionalism, which we think is helping everybody, but in fact is not allowing them to fulfill their destiny, fulfill their fate. Even though that fate and that destiny may be their own personal destruction. Uh. So, Jack, <laughs> uh. tell me this. Okay. How yeah, are you right. feeling right now? Disgusted, <laughs> amused, slightly filthy, like I need to take a shower, um, but also just depressed, but also just like, what the fuck did we just watch? Mm. I don't know how I'm feeling. How are you feeling right now? I'm feeling like I've just taken a very strange um, <laughs> path back into a very recent history that yeah. I've done a huge amount to forget, I think. Yeah. Or maybe so much has happened in the past few years that... The preceding four years of, of like, I don't know, long since forgotten. Yeah. This is a very special episode, <laughs> dear listener. Because, oh, welcome to the um, show. Jack and I are both going to be drinking a beer. Yeah, oh, wow, what a special episode. We've not episode. done that in a little while, because yeah, it does but... have a tendency to compromise our ability. <laughs> it does. <laughs> our, our already limited podcasting but also to are quite that... easily compromised. Yeah, but to make that hour and nine minutes, it would go by a little bit quicker, just yeah. a little bit quicker. So... Uh, yeah, wow, what a special episode. As often happens, Dan, when we um, read a book, a big book, we need to pad out some things so that we can actually read said book. Because as you know, listener, Dan and I both have jobs, we have stuff we got to do, and so it is a little difficult to find times to read a whole book. This is one of the padding out episodes where we <laughs> decided to pull a book chin, perhaps is what we should call it, and just watch a movie. We watched a movie, um, and I, I, I feel like I've taken quaaludes or something like that. I got mad. Oh, boy. We watched uh, an Errol Morris movie, mm -hmm. and it is called American Dharma. Mm. We'll get to it. You've been, you've been call, I don't know whether you've been calling this R, like... Badman trilogy, yes. or Errol Morris's Badman trilogy, this but is, both perhaps. This is perhaps both. This is, as you say, uh, rounding out our bad man trilogy, <laughs> our bad great man uh, Errol Morris movie mm. history. Mm. We are um, fully in the. I know. Are we in the realms of farce or? Oh my god! Whatever becomes what beyond farce. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's not. Far, he's not a farcical character, is he? The he's, character he's, of this film. He's it's, something. I don't yeah. know. He. Well, we'll get to it because I think we got to talk first. Let's just, for the new heads, uh, would you like to introduce the two movies that we've watched previously, both by Errol Morris, uh -huh. both when we needed to pad out some things, um, and this has become our unofficial official, uh, uh, as you say, bad man trilogy. Yeah, yeah. Um, auxiliary statement's preferred <laughs> premier documentarian. Not Adam that's the Curtis. Right word. Not Adam Curtis, because be like everybody, <laughs> Adam Curtis is everybody else's favorite yeah. um, documentary maker. So um, we've adopted Errol Morris yes. and we have in the past delighted, delected in two of his previous offerings, um, 
The no, 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 no. Uh, the fog of war. Yes. And the unknown known. Unknown known. The fog of war is um, an interview with Robert McNamara, who mm. was defense secretary under um, JFK. Yeah, and JFK guy and um, uh, president of Ford, I think, for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah it's, a strange, it's, it's a strange movie. He's a very <laughs> interesting, strange character, an interesting figure in American history. Um, that documentary took us through some an interesting history and we learned quite a lot yes <laughs> we were informed things. some very disturbing things but also an interesting character study mm. um alongside an interesting telling of history yeah the unknown known obviously <laughs> an interview with donald rumsfeld <laughs> um under a very similar format a long form interview with the subject of the movie with interspersed with other footage, either historical mm. or news or what have you. Mm. Um, so the subject of American Dharma, oh. <laughs> rounding out the trifecta. A bad man. Of, <laughs> bad man. Um, is Steve Bannon. Stephen Can I ask Bannon. you a question? Okay. How, do you, how do you think Steve Bannon feels about this documentary? Oh my God. I think Steve <laughs> Bannon is so stoked to have been like the third bad guy or whatever. And I had a realization during this. I'm just going to get right into it. Yeah. I think we should go back and talk about Mac and Rumsfeld a bit to kind of fit them into like why Errol maybe decided to make this movie about Bannon. But... Have you I, ever... I think Errol Morris decided to make this movie about Bannon because Bannon asked him to. Okay, that's an interesting theory, Dan. And he um, was like, why the hell not? He's like, yeah, go on. Um, Morbid have... curiosity on the yeah, part exactly. of Yeah, actually, Morris. disgust. Uh, have you ever played the game, Dan? Small indie video game, Grand Theft Auto V. <laughs> I have not, no, but I, I'm aware okay. of said game. There is a character in that, one of the main characters, whose name is Michael. And Michael, I think, is Steve Bannon. <laughs> he's, this, he's this fucking, he's got all the money in the world, but he feels unfulfilled, and so he decides to do something with his life. And hey, for some reason, maybe he's caught up in the spectacle, that thing is make movies. So he makes really bad movies. Michael in the game, he, you know, he lives this lie. He's basically like, you know, he's had to go into witness relocation or whatever. So he, uh, for some reason, it's probably just like, you know, some moralistic thing. Like he decides, I want to go work in Hollywood. I want to be a big name movie producer. Maybe it ties into the whole theme of not being, you know, your true self and this kind of lie and this silver screen and all this stuff. That is who Steve Bannon is. Because mm -hmm. it goes really badly. I, I think I'm getting a bit too ahead of His myself. His drama is documentary <laughs> filmmaker. Well. And, and, <laughs> and Steve Bannon's favorite documentary <laughs> filmmaker is also our favorite documentary yes. filmmaker. Yes, it is. So Steve Bannon is Michael, um, both middle-aged, disgusting men uh, interested in displaying false versions of reality. I think before we get too ahead of ourselves, because I had no idea Steve Bannon made movies, and we talk about this history, recent history, if we can even call it that, um, let's, let's again go back to McNamara and Rumsfeld. Because, dear listener, when we watched the Rumsfeld one, the second one of these movies, I came away from it, and I think we slightly disagreed, because I came away from it being like, McNamara is just an idiot. He just bought into the American dream because it happened to him, and he just felt like he was just doing his part in the great cause of America, and he was crunching the numbers because that's what he was good at. An American empire, baby. Rumsfeld, I felt like, was just kind of evil and just like a bad dude and just wanted to like have power and be the dude behind the scenes and be this gross, evil person. I have no idea what to think about Steve Bannon. I think he's really stupid. I think he's just like 
someone who has enough money to think that he's smart. I'm disgusted by him, but I think it is, to go back to what you said, it is so far his character beyond history repeating itself as farce that it's just like, I'm broken. I've, I, he has broken me. It's what he wanted to do, and he has broken me. I don't know what you think. I think it's possible that all of those characters are narcissists in their own way. Interesting. Um, but Steve Bannon is a very peculiar type of narcissist because he's wildly unself-aware, I think. Mm. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, and what I enjoyed most about this documentary was I felt like everything in it was designed <laughs> to have... The, the viewer realize how wildly unself-aware Steve Bannon is. Yeah, interesting. Like, it, it, like, the whole world is getting a joke over on Steve Bannon. Mm. Um, from the... This, this, should we talk about the set? For a bit? Yes. I, mean, may, I, believe, I would like to go into the kind of, like, trifecta types of guy <laughs> that these three characters fit into and try and work out whether they are different types of person because I... <laughs> I can't really remember what our disagreements were, but um, I definitely remember thinking that McNamara, his heart thought he was a good person, I suppose, or like, well, the kind of gotcha of that film is he gets him to a point where he starts to perhaps become, he sort of reveals some cracks in Robert Mm. McNamara's self-conception, I suppose. Um, But obviously this sort of like, um, very fact-based sort of like, sort of bureaucrat in a lot mm. of ways kind of thing. Um, I don't know what you'd say about Rumsfeld particularly. I think just that he's just just this like evil behind the scenes dude. And I think he was just very like narcissistic to the point that he just wanted, yeah, he just wanted money. Like he's very Machiavellian, I think. Mm-hmm. Whereas McNamara was just like, he was evil because he was the guy that was like, well, if you carry the two and do this and put your production facilities here, you can bomb a million people in Cambodia as opposed to just like 700,000. You know, yeah. that's his evil. I think Rumsfeld's evil is a lot more just like, I don't care what happens to anybody else. It's just me, baby. You know, so I don't know. Hmm. Whereas, I, yeah, I, you, you're right to bring up this idea of this relationship to filmmaking. Mm. Because, I mean, I also had no idea that Steve Bannon <laughs> was a filmmaker. Avant-garde I'm An avant-garde filmmaker. filmmaker. <laughs> and it seems to be it was through his um, avant-garde film that he met Andrew Breitbart and mm. sort of was brought into this circle. Um, and also, he says that his great inspiration was watching um, The Fog of War, the Errol Morris documentary. Oh, my God. Oh <laughs> it was watching God. Er- it, the, uh, Errol Morris's interview with Robert McNamara that made Steve Bannon want to make documentary mm. films. Mm. Um, I, I mean, I don't know whether that's just... A whether, story that's that just, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who knows? Um, but you're quite... It's interesting, isn't it? Like, here is a character who... The, the, the biography that we get of him in the film is like... Um, Sort of bought, raised in a sort of relatively democratic, mm. uh, democratic big D Democrat mm. yeah, 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 family, yeah. Uh, goes to like Catholic prep school, <laughs> goes to like military school, serves in the Oof. navy, <laughs> like goes to whatever like Harvard or something, mm. gets a, a, a master's in some kind of businessy thing from some business school, <laughs> goes off to be like a financial financial person, banker, I don't know. Mm. Um, You'd think he'd be set, right? You'd think yeah. it's just like you, you you slip into the sort of the the middle strata of American society, the financial elite kind of thing. Um, but no, 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 no. He's a the, maverick. The, the, the two the two sort of bits of his history that you that we that the film focuses on. Maybe you can think of some other ones that sort of struck a chord. Well, stood out to me was 
this process of making films, which we don't, we get into a little bit, we don't get a huge amount of, um, and also this involvement in uh, World of Warcraft. Oh my god! Oh my god! Yeah. Gold farming, alternative currencies. <laughs> and Dan. I was just like, how do you end up? How do you end up doing that? I, you know what? I've actually known a couple people who like new people who were involved in this kind of thing. And it's a real, it's just like, oh, okay. So now profit is just completely meaningless because Bannon talks about a way that he made money was by realizing that these people who play these video games are paying exorbitant funds for like Galadriel's sword on eBay or something like that. <laughs> and you get the code or whatever and you go into WoW or something like that and you download like the sword or you download money. So basically, like any good capitalist or whatever, he's like, but what if we set up just like a farm of like 25 people in a basement in some like country where we can pay them low wages to just, you know, do the South Park, like sit in front of your computer and just farm money and then just sell it to people after market. And he's all pr he's very proud of this, isn't he? And he, you're right. I feel like you're about to bring up this like tr trust that he has in the like, I, I don't even know how to, how to like describe it in like the spectacle in like the make-believe and how the make-believe is the real thing. And he tries to make this big philosophical point, and I think he just comes across kind of like a dope. <laughs> like he's just got no idea. It's like this dude made his money. Because he says, oh, I made my money in alternative currencies. And you're like, oh, and like Bitcoin? And it's like, because that would be really stupid. And he's like, no, it's much <laughs> it's stupider stupid, than that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also somehow more real. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Um, I think Steve Bannon is a loser. Oh, he's the biggest <laughs> loser of all time. Maybe that's what Mark should have said. Hegel, you know, they said, oh, first is tragedy, second is farce. The third time, though, it's just going to be some fat loser. <laughs> um, but he does he does attempt to make, as ever, oh. he always attempts to make some kind of high-minded point. Yeah, that's um, so typical, though. And I think a lot of it is, a lot of this stuff is meant to be like... Um, is woven in, in some ways, into a slightly delusional narrative of how he got to the point mm. that he got to. I think he's, like, he got to the position of being, like, Donald Trump's right-hand man, sort of leader of the campaign, which ultimately brought Donald Trump to power in the United States. Um, and I think he's just tracing everything back from that point. Mm. Um, obviously, he, he sort of, like, paints his politics as being populist um, and champions the sort of, like... The average working class American, yeah, whatever we, we can get onto that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, um, and I think he's just trying to work out how he's trying to explain how he got to the point where he understood the psyche of America and particularly mm. understood how it could be harnessed through engagement with digital media. Mm. Um, and it, it all comes from this very convoluted and I think certainly made up story <laughs> about um, somebody who is a sort of like works in an office somewhere and <sighs> dies of a heart attack and nobody really cares <laughs> except in his online life on World of Warcraft. Um, he's actually <laughs> like the new messiah <sighs> and I don't know. Anyway. And a thousand orcs come uh, yeah, to his funeral. Yeah. He tells this very <laughs> odd story about like the idealized version of, oh, but it's what you can be. And it's just bullshit, the, like the, marketing. The point, kind speech. of the the point I think he's trying to make is people associate with their online personas in a more real way than they perhaps do with their real life ones, mm. and therefore people like using the comment section in Breitbart. <laughs> to I don't know. Well, what it is, I, I think it's it's more so just like 
I think it's just him trying to come up with a way so that people don't make fun of him for having made his money off of like World of Warcraft gold. You know what I mean? It's like he's creating this big, because it's like very clearly like he does respect Errol, obviously. Like, you know, either he got the call from Errol to be like, I want to make a movie about you. And he shit his pants and was like, oh my God, I would love that so much. Or as you say, it was the other way around. Regardless, like, I think that story was one that he's just built up to explain to people to be like, no, video games are cool. But hey, I don't play them, man. I don't play them. And it's weird because like one of the conceits behind this movie is, and they never really explain how this worked, is they discuss a number of movies. And I think that they're movies that Errol told him to pick out that he feels like represents either some aspect of himself or some aspect of American society. And he picks the most like boomer dad movies of all time, right? Like he picks like the searchers and it's like, shut the fuck up the searchers. Oh my God. But like, I think it's, it comes down to the same thing of him basically like being, having his brain so poisoned by media that he assumes everything's ideology because it is to him, right? It's like, oh, I remember when they made movies with John Wayne in them and John Wayne was like good versus the evil and it was when men were real men. That's like literally a line from his fucking avant-garde movie. Like to him, it's just all ideology. He's like, if my brain has been poisoned by these movies, maybe we can poison enough people's brains into voting for Donald Trump. You know what I mean? And like clicking on Breitbart so I get like ad revenue. It's just like, and it, yeah. And the fact that it works, it's just like, <laughs> oh boy. Well, does it work or does it just seem to work? Well, it doesn't like, work. Yeah, it yeah. totally doesn't work. Like, I, yeah. I mean, these are the same people who were voting for Romney. These were the same fucking people who voted for McCain and Bush. You know what I mean? Like, obviously more people came to vote out, but like, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't work. It's just like a way of retroactively being like, it's all ideology because I made it happen. Because to have this like self-referential, like great man theory of history where it was all me, dude, I was the guy behind the scenes who made Donald Trump win. You kind of have to believe that. You just have to be like, it's all ideology, dude. And I think Errol might kind of buy into that a little bit. <sighs> Can I tell you and the listener my other favorite story that he gives? <laughs> um anecdotally Please. from his past <laughs> Please. he is i think it's in the context of an opposition to foreign wars or sending americans to fight in foreign wars and it's sort of in the context of him discussing robert mcnamara and the history of the vietnam war and he talks about how the vietnam war sort of like undermined um so many american communities with the number of people that were killed and what have you and he talks about his like gym teacher or something <laughs> who's who son... existed yeah. totally existed yeah, yeah exactly yeah <laughs> whose son was killed in vietnam and mm. he talks about the consequences of this and oh it's very sad and this kind of mm. stuff um and then he starts to give his own anecdote about his daughter in 2008 like or like something this. seven or six or something and i was like oh am i gonna start to feel sorry for like steve bannon did his daughter like die in iraq or afghanistan or something because i think she was in the military or something mm. and no it turns out it, the story that's about literally about to bring him to tears he's like this is really <laughs> difficult for me to say and he's talking about his like daughter's can you remember like mm. let's say like uh, netball team or something <laughs> And the, the, the New Jersey's arrive for oh his daughter's God, netball team. This. And on the top of the box, unopened, it says, made in Vietnam. And then he ends the story. Yeah. That's the end of the story. And There's he goes, no point. He we're, goes, sp we're supposed to just know yeah, why goes, that is know so what traumatic I mean? for him. It's just like, it's like, that means you won, dude. Like, what are yeah. you talking about? <laughs> yeah, it's maddening. It's, it's like... Part of this movie is a study in the type of people that are able to be successful. 
Steve Bannon has done nothing productive in his entire life. He farmed some World of War... No, he paid some people to farm some World of Warcraft gold and then sold it to people who play World of Warcraft. I believe he owns some royalties on, um, like, Seinfeld or something, so he made a bunch of money, which I find very funny. There's, like... Obviously, he's a capitalist, but he's like a finance capitalist guy, so it's just like the things that he profits on, they just have to have laws to make them profitable, because of course they're not profitable in their own right. So it's like, part of this just is, and I, I, I think, I hate to say it, because I really do like the last two movies that we watched of Errol's, and I really do like Errol Morris as a filmmaker in general, but I, I think, I think this one it was a bit it was of a, a mess. mess. Yeah. <laughs> it was a bit of a mess, because I think... This movie shows that, like, uh, Errol's a lib, a progressive lib, perhaps, but a lib. Um, and it shows that there are certain ideological um, constraints on liberalism that they just kind of have to concede to, like, right-wing populism because they both believe the same thing. And one of them is this idea of, like, I don't know, if, if you're at this point, you made it, like... Do you think this film thinks that um, Steve Bannon is some kind of genius, genius like, monster mastermind of something. I like, think you must, like because at one point, like Errol admits that he voted for Hillary in the Democratic uh, primaries over Bernie because they're talking about Bernie, and we'll get to that because he was scared of like Trump and he thought that Hillary was going to beat him or whatever electability. Um, and I think that that shows that yeah, he buys into it. He does think that Bannon is like this mastermind, and it speaks to this liberal view of like what like fascism or whatever, or just like right wing bullshittery or populism. That just like it's it's the creation of these these great men. It was Hitler and it was Mussolini, and they had the power to do it. And oh, isn't this you know just the price we pay for democracy? You know what I mean? That people like this can be allowed to speak their mind. Um, and I think that that's just, that's like the biggest fault of the movie. And I think that this movie, dear listener, we tried to do this a while ago, but we couldn't get it anywhere, at least on this island in the United Kingdom. It's on no streaming platforms. You can't rent it. You can't buy it. Dan and I had to find some ulterior means of watching this movie, sadly. But um, I don't know if it didn't get picked up for distribution because all of the libs were like, this is just clearly being like you're giving Bannon too much, like you're making him seem like this genius guy. But I don't think that there was another way out for this movie. Because if you're just, if you're coming at these people on their own terms and you're starting with like the same starting point of like American democracy, well, it works. And you know, you won because like of tricks, I guess, but it's the system. And if we can tinker with it, it'll all be fine. Like there was no real way for this movie to like get Bannon, if that makes sense. It was always going to end with like s some amount of, well, he just kind of knew what he was doing. He's a savvy operator, as opposed to just like this completely see-through charlatan idiot. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, there's nothing special about this guy. I was watching the film and really enjoying it. Mm. And I thought there was something a little masterful in it. Mm. Because, as I was saying before, I felt like the entire setup of the film was designed to make everybody but Steve Bannon realize how much of an idiot Steve Bannon yeah. is. And the first half totally was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, the, the first film, in the, in the chronology of the documentary, the first film that he is talking about is like a World War II mm. um, 
film about some American pilot. I'm not sure what it's called. Something high. Yeah, I, I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not important. Um, and this documentary is conducted in a mock-up of the flight hangar that's depicted in the film. Um, and I thought from that starting point onwards, they sort of, it felt very much like it was just mocking of Steve Bannon's sort of like egoistic mm. persona and the way he's seemingly identified with certain characters from certain of these movies kind of thing. Oh, let's put him in the setting of one of these films and see how much he revels in it and everybody will just be embarrassed that he's sort of yeah. clearly enjoying it so much. Even down to like the sort of like um, chromatic nature of the way that it was filmed and some of the angles and that kind of thing. I don't know. Well, it's very like uh, whimsical as all of his movies are. Yeah. Like it's a story, but it's real. Yeah. So like, whoa. <laughs> Um, but what I hadn't really realized was perhaps actually Aaron Morris just wants to make. I, I well, this, this, I don't know whether it's a, it's a he, he the possibility is either Steve Bannon is an idiot or he's a mastermind, <laughs> a sort of genius, or whether Aaron Morris is sort of presenting him as both somehow. He's either yeah. he's, he, I suppose he can be both an idiot and also through farcical circumstances also a great man of history that stands behind a pivotal slide into fascism that Errol Morris seems to see America being in the precipice of. I mean, he as much as declares mm. it, right? Like, he definitely does fall into that lib camp of thinking, oh, this is the terrifying moment. Mm. Um, I mean, we should talk about that because maybe it is. I was, yeah. I don't know, I was thinking about this, like, maybe this movie very rapidly became irrelevant in some ways. Mm. Maybe because Trump wasn't re-elected, or maybe because Bannon has star fell so dramatically, or just because the movie or like the media sphere has moved on. Moved on, yeah. I mean, yeah. like you know, COVID and all, yeah. and like, but okay, or maybe just the desire to have a Democrat back in the White House and just like forget everything. Mm. Like I don't know, um, the the sort of like quote unquote. I don't want to say liberal media, but liberal media. <laughs> oh, um, was obsessed with Trump up until the point until the, until the point where they could forget him. Yeah. Um, but we do face the prospect of a second Trump presidency. Yes. And again, like we thought with Bush, oh, there can never be anyone worse. So, <laughs> But I, I think you would speak to a really important point that I think we should touch on, which is like what you're saying about like this movie presents the possibility of Bannon being an idiot. I'll take that road. Or he's this mastermind, whatever. And I think to be fair to this movie, that I think is at least what I liked, and I think what we both liked about the first two movies, because it's like, McNamara, there's, there are very few gotcha moments in The Fog of War. You're very much just left with this feeling that like, these are like the people who are never elected, these are just the people who keep the machine running, this is the way things are. Like, you can be Steve Bannon and watch it and go, wow, crazy. I don't know if Bannon thought he was a good guy, but there are definitely people who watch that movie and go, he was the, they were the people we needed in Vietnam and in all these wars, right? And I think it's kind of the same thing with Rumsfeld. Like, you can very much watch that movie if you're a prick and be like, he did all of those bad things because we had to do. Like, there isn't really a moral judgment made in any of those movies. And maybe the thing that's frustrating me about this movie is what's frustrating all of the libs, that there was no moral judgment. It's like, this guy is an idiot. He's very clearly just a charlatan. You just want to pick him up and shake him, you know what I mean? Like, the fact that there was no moment there, it's a bit frustrating. Oh, I see. So you're saying that actually this film fits in, it's the same kind of film as the other two. I, I think as the so, same maybe. kind of, yeah. I thought you were going down the alternate path of like, Elmer Morris clearly has a... Well, actually, no. In the other two, Owen Morris is quite clear 
in his in a degree to his sort of revulsion or contempt or disdain or at least being ill at ease with these two characters that he's talking to. Yeah, Um, maybe. But I mean, like in this one, I feel like it's the opposite because it's like he is very obviously disgusted by this guy. I mean, guy. he like shout, literally like gets into shouting <laughs> yes. several times. But he, Errol doesn't really come across like getting what he wanted from this movie, despite being the guy that like edits it. You know sure. what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. whereas in the other movies, you're left the with this was wild. It was I wild. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like the, the, I don't know whether every time there was a change in camera angle, there was also a, a cut in mm. continuity of the, 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 the the film, I suppose, yeah, 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 but yeah. they were it was cutting all yeah. over the place. It, it, it was unnerving. Yeah, <laughs> it was unnerving. And sometimes it felt like this sort of like spoof YouTube videos where somebody's spliced yeah. together somebody's like uh, speeches into making them say something stupid, which is mm. going to disappear now because like deep fakes were things so that you can <laughs> make people say anything they want, you know. But like ten years ago, yeah, know. yeah. So I don't know. I I think that. The, the strength of those other two movies is that there doesn't feel to me, at least, to have been this final moral judgment, but you know it in your bones that these are bad people. In this one, you start off being like, oh, he was the guy who was on TV every goddamn day for the, like the last 10, well, like six years or whatever. I know how I feel about him. And then you, maybe it is just that it's too soon that like I didn't get what I wanted from this movie. I don't really know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think I that, wasn't like, left ill at ease in the way that I was left ill at ease after having watched the world. Or just like, yeah. just like... Yeah, you don't know, just just a bit unnerved by the existence of these people and their yeah. pivotal role in events, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. And I think maybe we should talk about the turning point in the movie, which is very much where you go from, oh, this guy's just a fool, look at him, you just, you know, oh, what a moron, he's just another one of these rich guys that thinks he has big ideas, right? There's a turning point in the movie where they start to talk about Charlottesville, and they start to talk about uh, hate crimes going up in America, and, like, perhaps... And I'll be honest, like, even as leftists, perhaps, like, things that rose up out of the Trump presidency that we uh, don't take as seriously as we should. Because, like, it's very easy just to be like, okay, Bush, Trump, they're all bad people. They're all capitalists, whatever. Biden, all capitalists, all bourgeois, who cares? But, like, you know, I'm not, there is this, like, rise in hate crimes that comes along with whenever a Republican is elected. And you are kind of forced to confront that. And it almost gives credence to this idea that like Bannon might have like a secret thing where he's like a little bit of a smart guy, you know what I mean? Because he was able to use the like disgusting cesspool that is like Breitbart or whatever, create this new thing of the alt-right, which has always been around, right? They just gave it a new name and apparently use that to get Trump elected, which like a lot of the same stuff was going on when Bush was elected, but okay, you know, like whatever. Um, yeah, I don't know. You, you When you get to that point in the movie and they show footage of like the car ramming into people and all of this gross stuff and they bring up, you know, all of the like dipshits with the tiki torches and stuff like that and their polo shirts. It's just like, you're really confronted with this concrete like, oh yeah, things were re like in the media sphere, things were really disgusting. And like, you know, now the like, mainstream media or whatever has kind of tried to downplay all of that stuff because there's a blue guy in the White House, right? So it's all gone. But like, we yeah, get to it see changes it. Richard Spencer get punched in the head though. Which so. is, and they add a like amazing sound effect to it though. It's like a slap. <laughs> it's very funny. We both laughed out loud when they showed that. That was excellent. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, uh, what was, I, I mean, I don't know how, I don't know whether I felt that sort of pivotal moment in the same mm. way. It's definitely, I, I guess because what the experience I was having throughout this film was 
oh my God, that's what Donald Trump looks like. That's how he behaved. That's how he talked and moved. Yeah. Are these real people? And I had the same thing with Hillary Clinton. I was oh, like, yeah. are these real people? Is this really something that happened kind of thing? Um, so I was just having this constant like, oh my God, this is actually what it was like, you know? There was a masterful moment when they first show Trump as the leg reveal. It's just this the silhouette, silhouette of him. And he's like very slightly leaning forward and everyone's cheering. And it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's like that's how he stands but was, yeah but it was perfect though because you still know <laughs> all of donald trump's movements yeah. like, he's so unlike any other human being <laughs> he really is um yeah i enjoyed that mm. yeah. yeah yeah i don't know it's uh I, yeah so maybe i don't know maybe i don't know where this like i where i'm getting mixed up in the like did this film try to promote him as a genius? Did this film try to promote him as an idiot? Like, I think maybe I was just disgusted by all of the Charlottesville stuff. And you're reminded that, like, for all we like to forget about Trump, for all we like to be like, it's just bourgeoisie, it's all just crap. We, you know, there is this, like, not like a large element of American society by any means that is, like, disgusting neo-Nazi, like, sicko shooter, like, Breitbart commenters, you know what I mean? But, like, a percentage of people, and just one last thing to say on it, those people, if there is any organized resistance, will melt. So it's like, you don't necessarily have to be afraid of these people because, like, show up with, like, a stick and they'll all run away, you know what I mean? But, like, we are reminded that those people exist. It's disgusting. The depiction of his firing from mm. being on Trump's White House staff is basically that everybody suddenly realized... Oh my God, he's that is like the Scooby Doo reveal. Oh, actually, Steve Bannon's uh, a potential fascist and a, a white nationalist, a nativist, and Nativist. what have you, kind of thing. Like, um, was it purely? Do you? I don't remember. Was it purely? Do you think his involvement in, I suppose, the quote unquote like alt right that mm. got him fired from the White House? Uh, I, I think there's no real way to know. Trump was firing people left and right. Presumably, if they wanted to remain some kind of, like, credibility, he had to fire him. But also, like, Trump didn't like anybody. It's like, you're having to deal with Trump. You're not going to have job security. Like, this guy's insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, who knows? Yeah. But the, I feel like the, the film is very keen to have you yeah. think, oh, my God, Steve Bannon was a white nationalist and he was in the White mm. House, which is not necessarily not true, right? That is, sure. I mean, he does, he speaks to some extent to his politics in this, but it is very hidden and veiled. I don't know whether... That's typical. That's yeah. that's typical right-wing populism. It's to like give you a little bit of like the manufacturing jobs are gone, huh? Drop, ooh, the working class. You never hear a Democrat or Republican say that and then be like, yeah, again, all these Mexicans coming into the country. Yeah, right? yeah, like yeah. it's typical <laughs> bullshit. It's, it's like an absence of politics. Yeah, I'm not racist. I just want to help Americans. <laughs> yeah. And nobody else. As, as long as you're like an American, American citizen. Wink, wink, <laughs> dog whistle, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, I, just to say on that, it's like <laughs> the media being like, it's all Bannon. And then like Stephen Miller's just like, uh, <laughs> don't worry about me. There was also an incredible moment where uh, they're talking about Trump's inaugural speech. <laughs> and Errol Morris is like, Bannon, did you write that? And Bannon's like, no, the president wrote that. And they both just laugh. <laughs> it's like, yeah, Trump wrote a speech. Right. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, should we talk about that weird bit where they talk about Bernie for like five minutes? Sure, yeah. There is a, there's a bit in the movie where they kind of abruptly cut to some footage of Bernie. Basically, 
they're building up to this point that there's like a rising populist momentum and it almost seems like they're doing the typical lib thing of being like Bernie on one end and Trump on the other end. The like teething masses, they need something other than the technocracy that we've created for them. And um, at one point, Errol Morris is like, uh, it, to Bannon, he's like, if you were Bernie's advisor, would he have won? And he's like, well, I tell you one thing, it wouldn't have been Hillary in the, uh, fighting up against Trump, it would have been Bernie. And then it just kind of like ends and it's the, it just falls very flat. And Errol admits that his son's very disappointed <laughs> for voting. His son, do you know who his son is? No. It is Hamilton Morris of Vice, the guy who always goes to like small villages in Brazil and like takes hallucinogens with like the people who live there. Very <laughs> odd, extremely odd. But um, yeah, that's his son. But a Bernie bro. But so. a Bernie bro nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, are you surprised? Um, and there is this weird dichotomy of like left populism, right populism. It's almost the same thing, you know? It's very, yeah, it's typical. That's another thing that kind of sunk a little bit of this for me. I don't know. But Steve Bannon is like, he, he basically like flips the interview on Errol Morris at mm. this point. He's just like, how could you possibly vote for Hillary Clinton? Like, yeah. Like, yeah. And that then, person, why did one? And then he literally, like, Errol doesn't have a response. It just falls flat. It's just silent. And well, that, that's, goes, how it, that's how it leads into, I voted for Hillary Clinton because yeah, I was afraid of because you. Because I was right? afraid. Yeah. And it's just like, afraid dude. Of Trump and I was afraid of you. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> dude, you didn't get got by Robert McNamara or Donald Rumsfeld, but you just got got by Steve Bannon. It's like, my man, come on. I think maybe there is a, an degree to which he's like, dramatizing what at the uh, probably at the point in time seemed like a very rational thing oh, sure. you know hillary clinton's the electable one Ugh. we'll just vote for hillary clinton we'll get the democrat in we'll have all the sort of like all the th the minor meager advantages that potentially come along with that you know like yeah the uh, picking the right supreme court justices and yeah. the rest you know <laughs> um the first female president mm -hmm. and like um and then in hindsight trump wins and it's suddenly like this sort of hysteria sinks in of like, mm. I did it and these really noble things because I was actually yeah. terrified of Trump yeah. and Bannon. Not because I was just like playing it safe because that's what I always do. You know, that's what these sort of like uh, mainstream liberal Democrats always do. It's just mm. like, yeah, vote for the safe candidate. You know, yeah. I can kind of afford health care. So what does it really matter? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He didn't yeah. actually have any stake in yeah. um, whether it was Bernie or whether it was Hillary. Mm. He just wanted a Democrat, and it didn't really matter. I'll just have the one that, but which I suppose I don't know. Yeah, yeah. well, that's, that's fair enough. If pe people vote from their like yeah. personal positions, I guess yeah. whatever. All right, yeah. Errol Morris, not a saint after all. <laughs> didn't vote for Bernie. People's <laughs> commissar. Um, yeah, I don't know, and it's it's funny because you very much see here if you're watching this movie as someone who is like not a Democrat or a Republican, you'd see this like, oh, they actually have some common ground here. They're like both like, because I, I don't know, I could honestly see Bannon if he wasn't such a crank moron with like a disgusting past, like someone similar to him probably could have just thrown their ideology out the window and gone, oh, but Bernie might win. I'll try and work for him. You know what I mean? And just be a complete opportunist because at the end of the day, he was just an opportunist. Mm -hmm. He doesn't actually believe in all of this yeah. high minded Trump's actually going to drain the swamp. Right. I think there is almost a gotcha in this film and it mm. comes really very early on when he's discussing Bannon's politics and Errol Morris puts to him, okay, you 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 have this professed populist politics. You seem to care about the common person. You want to turn the Republican Party into a Labour Party. Yeah. You want to reshore jobs. Um, you want to protect people from 
the worst ravages of sort of consumer neoliberal society. You want to mm. take us back to the 1960s where people had a wage packet they could live on and mm. blah, 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 had healthcare and whatever. And Errol Morris is like, no, clearly you just wanted to advantage and advance the interests of the rich. Yeah. To which um, Bannon has no particular response. Literally he just sits no there response. and grins. Kind yeah. of thing, whilst Morris kind of like scolds him mm. for the, the contradiction in his politics and in his worldview. Mm. And then it moves on from that. And that sort of is skipped very early because that's clearly not really yeah. the content of the film that Mor Morris wants to produce. Mm. Whereas I feel like that's the kind of content that we're interested in, right? Yeah. How does this populism, supposed populism, differ from either a left-wing populism or a left-wing or a socialist politics proper, I suppose? Mm. Um, and it's kind of in that, is just using a populist rhetoric to bring in a and support a candidate who is going to do all the things that normal Republicans normally do, right? Yeah. Cut taxes for the rich and... I don't know, whatever. Yeah, and that's never bought back around at the end, is it? Yeah. It's just it's just like this thing that just kind of hangs there. Because, like, Bannon brings up over and over again that they were there to drain the swamp. That's why we got Trump elected. He got in there. And you, you, I don't remember if he actually says, like, and we drained the swamp. He didn't quite use that phrase. It was a point <laughs> when I expected him to. Yeah. Um, when he's talking about the, pres the transition between the campaign and the presidency. Um, and sort of like the real work just beginning kind of yeah. thing. But he gets close to using the phrase drain the swamp. But. Yeah, but there's, an there's another very clear moment where you could have had a gotcha where it's like, okay, we're past that now. What went wrong? Yeah. Like that's never even touched upon. It's like, why weren't you able to get rid of all of these people? And the typical answer would just be, well, we were hindered by this and by that. By Well, know. yeah, it probably would have afforded Steve Bannon the opportunity to... He almost hints at it, but almost doubled down on the idea that... Um, well, I suppose it, it was what I was asking before. What were the circumstances of his being ousted from the White House? Mm. And maybe Steve Bannon could have just been like, okay, we weren't strong enough to fight the forces of like the deep state or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so we lost in that regard kind of things. So maybe he was just avoiding giving Steve Bannon the opportunity to... Yeah, to be like, we got to come back and do it again. Yeah, but there's also, but then there's just no point in really having this movie because, like, the other two movies are very much character studies, and this is a character study as well. But they they make points about the broader position of politics and history, right? This one, I suppose because it's too soon, like yeah. you could very much, like if Trump gets reelected or if some other like moron Republican gets elected, it would very much change how I see the movie. It would very much change, I think, how like the movie is reacted to. Because watching it now, it's very much, yeah, I don't know. It's Maybe it would have been a much better movie if Aaron Morris had set out to make a documentary for historical posterity mm. rather than yeah because the other ones are kind of in in enough hindsight that they're sort of like a step removed from the historical set or they're treated as a historical setting rather than contemporary yeah. politics you know whereas it was very difficult to to demarcate the two in this film well i think the way he's able to do that in the other two movies is because they're old men mcnamara yeah. is just this gross skeleton and same with rumsfeld like yeah if he, it, it would have worked better if there was a movie on Kissinger, you know what I mean? But that would have been going over some, the same things. The fact that this is still a guy who maybe still has a career is just like, so did he win? Did he not win? Like, Just as an aside, if the listeners know of a good documentary on yes. Kissinger, we would like to watch it. So let's know. Yes. <laughs> yes. It won't, in, in, our, in our, like, bad man headcanon. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, preferably if list. it's an Errol Morris. Yeah. You can <laughs> if anybody knows Errol Morris. <laughs> yeah, we'll make it happen. Um, um, 
we were reminded of another uh, character, ghoul, yeah. figure from um, American political history mm. that we'd both forgotten about. A man with a very unfortunate name. Anthony Weiner. Oh, <laughs> classic. I mean, yes. I have nothing to say about him other than to remind everybody that he, he exists. exists and those photos exist. And yeah. they're shown and like we had 10 to see times the in the movie. We had to see the photos. Why did he bad. show us the photos? It was very bad. That whole thing about Bright, the actual guy Breitbart I found very interesting. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize he died. And I think that made everything click a lot more for me because it's like, okay. Killed by Occupy Wall Street. Yeah, <laughs> he was indeed. Well done, comrades. Um <laughs> I guess the story is that Breitbart was in an undisclosed basement blogging on a website named after himself about right-wing crankery. And then at some weird, like, place where these people meet, he met Bannon and was like, let's make some business stuff happen. And because Bannon has the, you know, business acumen of, like, uh, some sort of genius, I suppose, (laughs) he was like, okay, I'll come to your basement and we'll have an espresso or something and we'll talk this over. And they built Breitbart. And I didn't realize that Andrew Breitbart died, but it makes a lot more sense because it's like, oh, okay. It makes it a lot easier for Bannon because he's able to, like, martyr this guy, you know, and make him something that he wasn't. He's just clearly just a crank idiot who, like, made his name by, like, linking gross photos of Anthony Weiner, which is hilarious, um, into something that he wasn't and take this brand and, like inject it with money yeah he wants to depict breitbart as this sort of genius who saw the way the internet was going in like 2009 2010 kind of mm-hmm. thing and like created basically single-handedly the future of um partisan political reporting for the internet and how you could create this tool which would influence politics and political campaigns in the future but again i think it's just like rewriting a history yeah. from the point of the present kind of thing. yeah totally um yeah, Andrew Bart- Breitbart just seems like a crank. Just seems like a crank. Um, and there's, yeah, but just who with the partial for just shouting at people. Yeah. Um, and happened to be in the right place uh, at the right time. Well, yeah. With those photos. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, liked a movie that Steve Bannon had made once. Yeah. And that's how they met. <laughs> Which, Steve okay, Bannon. another classic Steve Bannon story is he was showing one of his films at Telluride. Uh, 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 <laughs> yeah, the conservative film festival. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine a more tedious <laughs> And uh, he got a 10-minute standing ovation for his movie, which, like, yeah, okay, 10 and minutes. And this giant man came and bear-hugged him, and he had no idea who it was. And, and it was like, turned out it was Andrew, Andrew Breitbart. Breitbart. And he was like, I love how racist you were in your movie. That was really, really great, man. Let's link up. Um, one important thing that we haven't talked about, I guess, is this phrase that Bannon keeps kept repeating throughout the entire movie, which is, if, if we don't do what we're going to do, you're going to have a revolution, man. You're going to have a revolution. And I think that that's a dog whistle on two ends, right? It's a dog whistle to, like, I suppose the elite that eventually, like, the finance bourgeoisie, the people who, like, big players were like, you know, okay, we'd rather Trump than someone else because we have more of an interest in, say, like a Republican because of X, Y, and Z than a Democrat, maybe less regulations. They're like real estate people. They're people who, I don't know, like build buildings or defense contractors or something. Um, Maybe it's some sort of dog whistle to them to be like, we'll clamp down on this burgeoning, like actual, like working class sentiment that is building up behind, you know, like light progressives like Bernie and people like that, blah, 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 blah. But it's also a like dog whistle to just like the gross, disgusting Breitbart commentators to be like, I don't know, make it whatever you want. Make it about immigrants. Make it about, like, globalists. I love the way he says globalists. He always goes, globalists. It's very funny in the movie. Or you can just make it, like, I don't know, about anything you want. You can even make it about left politics. Um, 
But that seems to be his driving force, and it seems to be the sales pitch that he's built up for everybody that he's spoken to, whether it's financiers, whether it's whatever. He says, if we don't do this, you know, you're going to have a revolution. And at the end of it, that's like one of the last things he says. And I'm kind of like, let's go. It's right around the corner. All right, let's go. Um, Yeah, I was was enjoying his championing of revolution. (laughs) But I don't think he means revolution in the way that we would think about revolution. I almost, when when he says revolution, I almost sort of hear like um, uncoordinated societal breakdown. Mm. And what he wants to do, because he, he quite frequently accepts a depiction of his politics that comes from Morris. Um, Bannon accepts that his politics is kind of like apocalyptic, you know, yeah. or he really wants to tear things up, <laughs> sort of break things down, kind of thing. Um, and in the in the context, I think in the context of that, revolution is kind of like the uncontrolled breaking down of society. Sure. Whereas he wants to do the kind of the, the controlled reconstruction of society mm-hmm. almost to save it in some ways, um, which I think is the way that his rhetoric sort of strays into a slightly fascistic one. Sure. Um, sort of like saving society from itself by yeah. removing the malign elements. And I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Keeping this like this society. I mean, it's make America great again. Like I hate to be like that guy, but it is this idea that like, oh, at one point things were good. Let's go back to that. When it's like, oh, when was that? You know what I mean? It's like this vague idea that people have in the back of their minds that things might have been good once, maybe before they were born. Um, And if you don't get us, the people who can get in there and really get it done, the big boys, you know, uh, your Romneys aren't going to get this done. They're too soft. Then it's all going to go to hell even more. Mm. Well, it's interesting that he recognizes the symptoms in a lot of ways. And he almost recognizes and names some of the people at fault, you know, like... Mm. um, whether there's a, there's a point in the time when he rails against consumerism and people being forced into uh, credit card debt and mm. having to consume in that way because their wage packets aren't enough to like rent homes and I mean the 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 descri- description of the symptoms of the problems in contemporary I don't know quote unquote neoliberal society mm. or whatever um, is there I don't know how many of I didn't pick up particularly many dog whistles for who was at fault, you know. Yeah, other than uh, globalists. Global, of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a big one. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that one flies over my head at this point. Yeah, yeah okay, yeah. There's a big dog whistle. Yeah, yeah it, but I mean, again, that's typical, like, right-wing populism bullshit to, like, kind of tease out the, like, you know, actual problems of society. It's like the way Trump would always talk about fentanyl and the drugs affecting our societies and bringing manufacturing jobs back because it's like, yeah, dude, you go to the Rust Belt where these manufacturing jobs used to be, where they used to have union halls that everybody could go hang out in and now they're just been replaced by evangelical churches thanks to Grover Norquist. Like, you get that feeling. People are just strung out. Like, I don't, I don't want to be like, these people are all strung out because obviously they're not, but like, things aren't great. And so they tap into that a little bit because... Obviously, you can't just get the, like, sections of the bourgeoisie that your party represents to vote for you because then you wouldn't win. You need to, like, tap into something else. So you make it about something other than what it is, and you make this weird kind of cross-class alliance, usually between, like, petty bourgeoisie and, like, you know, again, real estate moguls, people like that. And, you know, you sprinkle it in with, like, some maybe working-class people who are kind of like schmucks. And he does use the phrase working class, which is, again, maddening that you would never hear, like, a Democrat say that, with the exception of probably, like, Bernie and, like, you know, some AOC people, people like that. But, like, yeah, it's frustrating. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of the reason this movie, like, frustrates me is because it's, like, it gives you a glimpse into that right-wing populism 
and you kind of go, well, some of these things we should be mad about, you know what I mean? The, like, credit card debt, the, like, obviously we would, like, attribute it to the value farm, he's not going to be like that, but, like, it's a bit frustrating, because it's like, these things aren't being talked about in mainstream politics, other than by this idiot. Yeah, and I suppose it's worth reiterating, taking this opportunity to reiterate, like, he is, something that we've talked about in the past, like, he is depicting these things as from the position of being an anti-systemic mm. politician in some ways. Yeah. His politics are anti-systemic, almost anti-constitutional in some ways. Um, and the left's constantly failing to do that. They've sort of ceded radical anti-system politics to the right. Yeah. Um, and we need to recapture some of that. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's a system, both sides, that can't keep it up for long because it's like the Democrats, where did they make big gains in the election for Biden? It's like suburbanites. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, well, you're not going to keep that up for very long. So it's a losing game on that end. Of course, it's a losing game on the other end because it's like they've never won a fair. I mean, obviously, they've won for elections before. But like one thing this movie doesn't touch on is that like Hillary did get more votes. Yeah. You know what I mean? So they're when they're talking about like, and this is how we beat her it's like all right well if the system was fair god damn it like we would have had hillary and she would have fixed everything damn god damn it <laughs> we should talk about hillary though unless you have something else to no, say on no, that. No, no. you're very right to be like wow these are just odd creatures these people the silhouette of trump and then hillary coming out the footage of her being like this is why i lost god damn it and she's all pissed <laughs> off it's just like who are these people it's it is again it's something beyond farce it's like whether they're right or not, this idea that, like, the PR people behind these campaigns go, these are the personality types we want you to be to project that we think voters are going to respond to, at least the people that we're going after, it's uh, it's a little bit gross. <laughs> Again, it's the, you get a pick between a psychopath and an idiot. It's like, who do the suburbanites want? They want someone so psychopathically out of touch as Hillary. And it's like, who do the insane Trump voters want? They just want a dude that's just, like, going to stand funny so you can laugh and just, like, bumble around and act like an outsider. Ugh. This might be an instance of a broken clock being right twice or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But there were some times in this film when we did turn to one of them and be like, he's not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> One of them was his reaction to Errol Morris saying that he voted for Hillary Clinton. Oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> and the other one was when he was talking about... Um, it, he, uh, okay, I don't want to feed into his delusion too much, right? Sure. Because he's talking... He's, he, it, this is in the context of him being like, oh, what a great political mastermind I am kind of thing. <laughs> but the, it covers the, the period, the process, or the history of him coming onto the Trump uh, presidential uh, campaign team. I suppose. Mm. And it talks about Hillary Clinton's reaction to that being to give a speech about like the alt-right and how Bannon's terrible and to focus all of these things on how disgusting and deplorable uh, the voters are for who people who vote for Trump and how horrible Trump is. And to really play to that base, you know, to play to the Errol Morris base of yeah. like, look how horrible these people are. Look at us, the respectable, electable yeah. ones. And, um, and Bannon's just like, as soon as she gave that speech... And she's going to focus on these sort of like uh, what he calls identity politics mm. themes. And he's just like, well, we're just going to go and tell people how bad their lives are and how we should make them better. <laughs> yeah. And that's what's going to win the election. And yeah. I mean, I don't know. He doesn't seem to be wrong in that regard. Yeah. Like, and if, you're going to, if you're going to look for the ways in which Hillary Clinton failed, it was pointing at Trump and laughing with and expecting everybody to laugh along when actually everybody was like, well. You know. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> not but too it, funny. Actually. But he does also say that like, there was polling. This is uh, this is um, 
uh, Bannon says that there was polling that was like a huge number of people just didn't like either candidate. Sure. And, then, and the majority of the people who didn't like either candidate went for Trump. Which, fake news, the majority of people who didn't like either candidate did didn't what they vote. always do and didn't fucking yeah. vote. But the people who do vote and didn't yes, like any yeah. other candidate, they went for Trump. Because the majority is always the ones that don't yeah. vote. Yeah, exactly. I was uh, ex- doing some extreme slacking at work the other day. <laughs> well then. <laughs> and I was collating, I was trying to, because I have no idea how many what people did we, What was our old joke? Slacking huh. off collectively? Collect- so, yes. Uh, well, it wasn't necessarily, <laughs> no, 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 it was no, no, a no. bit of collective slacking. <laughs> I've melted into the background. Um, I was trying to put together some voting statistics for people who vote in midterms versus people who vote in presidential elections. Because actually, I don't really know a lot about that, and I knew that it wasn't very many people. Going back to 1932, which is the data that I could find for presidential elections, the average amount of people who vote, who can vote, voting age population, um, I believe it's about 54% of the voting age of population votes in presidential elections. Um, That's an average... To 1932. On average. Uh-huh. The highest was when Kennedy was elected. Please fact check me on this, people. Don't just take this as uh, whatever, because I was, you know, slacking off at work trying to do this. Um, the aver- the highest amount was like 62% or something like that when Kennedy was elected. And then when Biden was elected, it was actually like 60%. So it was quite high. Oh, okay. Um, but in midterms, it's like high 40s. It's like mid to high 40%. It's like 45 to 52% of people who can vote bother coming out and voting. So again, I think to round this out, we do need to like, let's, let's do some materialism. Let's do some actually like left-wing thinking and not just like rail on like how much of an idiot Steve Bannon is. Like most people who have a stake in being working class and working class, uh, uh, you know, like what the working class needs. What's the phrase for that? the class interest of the working class, um, don't fucking bother voting. The majority of small business owners, they vote Republican presidential election because, you know, taxes, regulations, whatever. Um, Suburbanites tend to vote for Democrats. um, And again, most people who can vote, don't fucking bother. So like, we, we really do need to get beyond this, like, I mean, obviously, get beyond this, like, thing of the Democrats versus the Republicans. I, you know... Fucking, at the end of the day, like, Hillary and Trump, obviously we're seen with Biden now. Kids are still in cages. Ecological collapse is still happening. There are some good things that have happened. The world is still very quickly going towards, like, utter collapse. I think instead of, like, doing the Errol Morris thing of, like, and I don't want to, like, pan him too hard for this, but, like, being scared and being, like, oh, man, I really, like, fucked up. It's, like, there is a lot of untapped energy out there. And it is not this dichotomy of, like, nativists or electability, you know what I mean? Or even, like, Bernie. Like, it's it really made me feel good in a weird way to see how few people voted. Because it's like, oh, maybe there is a universal class interest. Maybe there is something to this whole idea of the working class because they just sit it out. And if you talk to people... Surprise, surprise, working class people are smart. They go, yeah, I'm not going to fucking bother voting. I'm still going to be getting rammed by taxes. I'm still going to be getting, I'm not going to have any savings. I'm not going to be able to buy a house. I'm going to have a shitty job. Nothing's going to change. And so, you know, what are you going to do? Nothing changes. So, I don't know. This film obviously very much falls into the liberal versus conservative uh, dichotomy. And um, that's one that's fake news. Very much there's an opportunity to organize outside of that. So, what are you going to do? Maybe we stop moaning about Bernie. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 I agree with that. Yeah, the um, yeah, it does seem to be the case that the entire sort of political discourse is designed to um, make seem universal 
mm. the interests or the political positions of a minority, you know. Mm. And the people who are involved in getting people elected want to speak to the uh, very specific interests of a minority of the population in both in, in this country and in the United States as well. Mm. Um, and it's very easy to get caught into the trap of like, thinking in big P political terms or small P, I don't know. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean. Right? Um, yeah. We need to widen the scope of our understanding of what politics is and where politics can be done and where work can be done yeah. and where politics resides. Yeah. And it's not necessarily in the ballot box every four or five years. Exactly. Maybe it's in your workplace. Maybe it's in your community. Exactly. Maybe it's with your neighbours. Yeah. yeah. Well said. I think, um, yeah, we'll see. Right. Instead of just falling into this like uh, evil fascism, it's coming yeah. for us, and there's nothing we can. I do. I was scared of you, Bannon. <laughs> exactly, mm. failed democracy. How hilarious is it that it's like some of these um, personal property interests that we talked about a lot in our Constitution episode are perhaps represented now in the Democratic Party? Not all of them, and there's like the Electoral College that fucked them. <laughs> it's incredibly funny. Incredibly funny. Um, yeah. All right, so uh, one last thing, um, just to have some more fun. What did, what did you think of all three of these movies? Because this is probably like the last, there are no other Errol Moore's movies, as I can see, that are about like singular political figures. He did one on like The Killing Fields, which sounds a bit brutal. Mm-hmm. But um, what did you think of all these three? Which ones did you um, get stuff from? I think the, the McNamara one was most interesting for the history um, it has a much broader political scope, although McNamara's political career was much s- slimmer. Well, actually, no, Bannon's was quite small. Wasn't yes. It? <laughs> <laughs> but relative to Rumsfeld, like um, McNamara was notable in politics for only a slim period of time. I mean, he was he was plucked from like a business world and he went back to being, was he like set, worked at the World Bank or something yeah. for the majority yeah. of his, politi- uh, yeah. his, his working yeah. career or something? I don't know. Um, but given that it covers a scope from like World War Two up to his leaving office kind of thing. Um, and I guess it was at the time when we were also reading The Devil's Chessboard. So it was interesting <laughs> to just like slot some of these things together. <laughs> some of the same Good names. Good time. Simpler times. <laughs> what was that general's name that firebombed uh, oh, Japan? Oh, uh, LeMay? LeMay. Curtis LeMay. Oh, yeah, Jesus yeah. Christ. Anyway. Um, I probably enjoyed that one most, maybe mm. because it was like... Disturbing, but also far enough removed from Distant. the life that I'd lived. Totally. Life, yeah. yeah, when they start talking about, like, Abu Ghraib in the Donald Rumsfeld one, it's like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Rumsfeld's just slimy and slippery. And yeah. It's just a bit sickening. Yeah. Um, and this, this, I sort of enjoyed watching with Steve Bannon. Yeah. Mostly for just getting I, to see yeah. Trump again, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. I, <laughs> I will just say. go back and watch clips of Trump, you know. <laughs> I'd forgotten. I'd forgotten. He's a he's a gold mine. He's a gem. Yes. God they, bless him. Somehow he's funny. I said this on the last episode. He's funny. He's a funny guy. He's a funny, he's guy. A funny guy. I don't know. Oh, I did have a premonition of who the twenty twenty eight Republican nominee going to be. You did. I can't remember what you said. You heard it here first, folks. Former MLB pitcher Kurt Schilling. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Will be Kurt Schilling. I don't know who else it could be. It's not going to be fucking DeSantis. He's not funny. Kurt Schilling isn't that funny either. He's a bit of like a scumball, but like. Baseball guy, come on. Okay, we'll say Trump. Guy. We should, we should, we should watch some clips of him and talk yeah, about no, it. No, they're they're pretty gross. Oh, okay. <laughs> he's a bad guy. Oh, not okay, getting okay, the Hall okay, of Fame, okay, which okay, is very okay. funny. Okay, okay. Um, unlike Barry Bonds, not getting the Hall of Fame, which is not funny. Um, last thing I'll say on these movies is I think I'll generally agree with you. I think The Fog of War is 
probably my favorite one. And I think that he does the best job of weaving a compelling narrative in that movie. Um, but I, I, the reason I love that movie the most is because the narrative at the end of it is just like, whoa, what did I just watch? Mm-hmm. And it's this like, he talks about the banality of evil, which is very like, I'm not going to say Nazi apologist Hannah Arendt, but like kind of a Nazi apologist quote of being like, well, the average person had nothing. To, they didn't know what they were doing, which like, yeah, okay, right. Yeah, thank you very much for that quote. But um, there is this idea of like, he was just some bureaucrat and like hundreds of thousands of people died because he was such a good bureaucrat. You know what I mean? It's bad. Like he would have been one of the people that like, I don't know, I would have been like, oh, maybe put him on the docket first. Like I get it. He's just like this guy who's like, I'm good with numbers. I can sell Ford motor cars. I know assembly lines, but like, oh, fucking Jesus Christ, this guy. So if Robert McNamara is benign evil, (laughs) Donald Rumsfeld is kind of like malign evil. (laughs) It's, is he is um Steve Bannon what chaotic evil? I, I guess. guess he's chaotic, but he's too stupid to be yeah. chaotic. That's the thing. He I don't know. He defies. He's like a third axis of the like chaotic evil spectrum. Okay. I don't know. Just a knucklehead. Uh-huh. Just court jester. Court jester, yeah. and man, perhaps just someone that. How the hell has this person been able to succeed? Quote unquote. <laughs> Yeah. In a socialist society, though, you will still be able to make money by selling gold to people playing WoW. That's just yeah, it'll yeah, be labor that's, tokens. That's the that's but... the that's the first <laughs> first element on our political program yeah. is reinstating the commensurability <laughs> or the equality between Worldcraft World of Worldcraft <laughs> currency and its tradeability with real world currency. Farming gold is work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dear. Um, All right. Well, next episode we do, we'll be back to something a bit more serious. This has just been a little bit of fun that we like to have. Uh Um, I do do feel disgusted. We do like to have some fun. I feel a little bit gross watching. I need to go for a walk. (laughs) Um, Some nice, cool air. But uh, one thing we haven't said, if we haven't made it clear, these people are your enemies. One last thing. These are totally your people are your enemies. We talk about how funny Trump is because, like, yeah, he's just a moronic, funny dude. I hate to say it. But, like, disgusting pig, sicko, sexist, elitist, gross, capitalist, moron. Mm-hmm. These people are all your enemies. Uh, and I wonder whether that? we ought to check Twitter because <laughs> last time when we were doing our episode on Donald Rumsfeld, he basically died whilst oh we were doing Oh, my God, I forgot episode. about that. <laughs> oh, yeah, Steve Bannon found in a Scalia-esque situation. <laughs> If you know what I mean. Yeah, perhaps. Anyway, Inshallah. Anyway. Um, all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't wish ill on anybody. No, yeah, that's very it's, true. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Of course, of course, of course. Anyway, we'll be back, um, hopefully finishing a book. So, uh-huh. Well, not finishing a book. Yeah, we'll, we'll make progress. We'll make progress. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Thanks, everybody. Go watch this movie. It is actually, it's worth watching. Yeah. I, I called it a mess, but it's definitely worth watching. Yeah. yeah so and definitely go watch The Fuggle Ball. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, with that... Um, I'll be back some other time, I guess. Will you, Dan? <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> Let's do this again. Yes, it's been fun. Indeed. And um, send us movie recommendations as well, because those are the three movies I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> now we just resort to like looking at IMDb and be like, can we watch this? Yeah. Can we watch Top this? 100 left-wing Le- movies. <laughs> yeah, somebody go and make that list for us. Yeah. And then we'll just like plug away at them when we're in a moment of desperation when we need to fill some airtime, I, I guess. I see us getting a list that's like, uh, loose change, <laughs> uh, maybe this one. Oh, uh, yeah, what was, what was that? I can't remember. I'm trying, I'm trying to remember the conspiracy theory films. Yeah, the good old days. All right. Well, yeah, like I said, we'll be back. Thanks, everyone. Yeah.
Adieu, dear listener. We'll see you again. music you heard this episode was music to kill bad people too by king gizzard and the lizard wizard if you like this song you can check it out and much much more on their Bandcamp at kinggizzard.bandcamp.com be sure and follow us up on instagram twitter and facebook and if you like what you heard be sure and tune in next week for some more commie discussion till next time Whoa.